0: Welcome to The Skin Reel, your guide to all things skin care, skin health, beauty, and more curated by dermatologists and true skin experts. I'm your host, Dr. Mary Alice Mina. I'm a double board certified dermatologist and dermatologic surgeon with over a decade of clinical experience. If you're looking for real, practical, unhyped skin care guidance and expertise, or you just think that the skin is really cool, then you're in the right spot. I'm so glad you've tuned into The Skin Reel. Now, let's dive in because this is how dermatologists talk skin. Hi, skin
1: friends. While my mom, Dr. Mina, is a board-certified dermatologist, she is not your dermatologist. The topics and opinions in this podcast are for educational and entertainment purposes only, and are not intended for personal medical advice, please consult with your own dermatologist
0: or medical specialist before making any medical decisions concerning your health. Thanks for listening. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining me on this week's episode of The Skin Reel. This week, we're going to be taking a closer look at common skin cancers what they are, how we treat them, and how we can prevent them. Joining me this week is my colleague, Dr. Nicole Velez. She is a native of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where she graduated Phi Beta Kappa and cum laude from Carnegie Mellon University, and then with Alpha Omega Alpha Honors from the University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine. I had the pleasure of meeting and working with Dr. Velez when we were dermatology residents at Harvard Medical School. She also went on to complete an internal medicine residency at Brigham and Women's Hospital and then a fellowship in Mohs Micrographic Surgery and Cosmetic Dermatology in Rhode Island. She is a fellow of the American Academy of Dermatology and a fellow of the American College of Mohs Surgery. She enjoys teaching and staying on top of advancements in her field and has published over 20 peer-reviewed journal articles as well as lecturing both nationally and internationally on skin cancer. So I'm really thrilled to have her here teaching us about common skin cancers, and I'm so glad you joined in. Dr. Velez, I already introduced you a little bit, but why don't you tell us about yourself in your own words? Thank you so much for
1: having me, Dr. Mina. It's such a pleasure to be a part of this awesome podcast. Like you said, I'm a dermatologist and Mohs surgeon. Dr. Meena and I trained together at Harvard Combined Dermatology Residency. And then I went on and did a year of fellowship in Rhode Island. And I've been back in my hometown of Pittsburgh for the last eight years. I started a private practice about three years ago. And most of my time is spent taking care of skin cancers. Like I tell my patients every day, the skin is one of the only organs we can see easily with our own eyes. And we have the opportunity to catch these skin cancers early on ourselves and in our friends and family. And when we catch these skin cancers early, they're usually very treatable. So I'm
0: passionate about this field and uh, excited to talk to you all today. Great. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, I agree. This is definitely uh, right up our alley and something we see and treat every day. And it's super rewarding because we really get to cure skin cancer on a daily basis you know i think a lot of people hear the word skin cancer they know it's something to worry about or or that can happen from the sun but they maybe don't know much more than that so when we talk about skin cancers what are some of the common skin cancers that we're talking about can you sort of tell us about those sure So I think a lot of people have heard of
1: melanoma, and that certainly is one of the more common skin cancers and an important skin cancer, but not all skin cancer is melanoma. Actually, the two more common types that we see every day are basal cell skin cancer and squamous cell skin cancer. These are not melanoma types of skin cancer, and and they can't transform into melanoma. They're totally separate from melanoma. They are caused primarily from years of sun damage. Also patients who are immunosuppressed, maybe from transplant and immunosuppressive medication that they have to take in order not to reject the transplant can be higher risk for those skin cancers. But basal and squamous skin cancers are the most common. And then after that, we do see melanoma. And then there are other more rare types of skin cancer that we may see in
0: dermatology. But those three are are the most common, basal, squamous, and melanoma. I find that some patients try to categorize them like, okay, well, this one is the good one. This one is the bad one. You know, what do you tell patients about that? Is there one that maybe they don't need to worry about quite as much or one that's not as serious? You know, I think some people think of basal cells as being perhaps the one that isn't as life-threatening, but how do you counsel your patients when they ask you that kind of question?
1: You know, it's easy to say, basal cell is the one you don't have to worry about and squamous you sometimes have to worry about and melanoma you really have to worry about but i think you and me both can say we've seen some pretty bad basal cells and then we've you know had squamous cells that maybe are less aggressive than the basal so every person is different and that's what makes our field so interesting i think every body location is different every person's past medical history is different and and then the history of how their cancer presents is different so I think we have to take it on a patient by patient basis, how we counsel as far as risk and aggressive nature of the cancer. But in general, basal cell is a cancer that presents as like a pimple or a non, sometimes people will say, I thought it was a bug bite or a pimple, but it just doesn't heal and it bleeds spontaneously. And in general, basal cells typically grow slowly and they very, very rarely spread or metastasize, very, very rarely would lead to death. So those in general are the less aggressive type, the basal cells. But certainly we see some that grow quickly and may invade down into the muscle and and might become a bigger
0: issue to remove. Absolutely. You know, I I will sort of tell patients, you know, basal cells may not spread to other parts of the body, which is what we call metastasize. However, they can be really destructive locally. What that means is, you know, if you have a a basal cell on your ear and you do nothing about it, it's going to destroy your ear or, you know, a a basal cell on the tip of your nose, you let it sit there for months and years, it's going to destroy that tissue there. It may not spread to your lungs or your brain, but, you know, you're going to have sort of the end of your nose sacrifice for that. So I think, um, and I'm sure you experienced this too with COVID, we had a lot of sort of deferred, delayed treatment of skin cancers. So we were sort of able to see this firsthand, this sort of delay in diagnosis and treatment of these common skin cancers. Absolutely. That's a really good point. I think we
1: all saw a lot of patients who we wish we had been able to see six or 12 months sooner. If you have a spot you're worried about, the sooner you can get in to have it evaluated,
0: the better. Can you tell us a little bit, you know, not every basal cell and every squamous cell and even every melanoma, but let's maybe focus on the basal cells. They're not all created equally, like you said earlier. Are there different things that you can see maybe clinically or under the microscope that might suggest this one is perhaps a more aggressive form of a basal cell versus more of an indolent form? Sure, yeah. So certainly
1: under the microscope, we see features that can be more aggressive. So there are different subtypes of basal cell, and one of those is an infiltrative type where you see little strands of the cancer that literally infiltrate into the skin and sometimes even beyond into the fat and muscle. And infiltrative basal cells can be more aggressive, meaning they can grow more quickly or deeper, and they can go unnoticed sometimes for longer. Other subtypes of basal cell are nodular and superficial type. Those tend to not generally be as aggressive as the infiltrative type. And then clinically, I think, you know, what you might notice is, like I said before, something that's not healing, something that bleeds spontaneously. If you, you know, are waking up at night and you find that there's blood on your pillow from a spot on your ear and you didn't injure your ear, for example, then that's a sign of something that might need to be evaluated.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, usually we'll we'll tell patients, you know, If a new spot appears, especially on a sun exposed area, and it doesn't go away in about a month, and certainly if it bleeds, those are sort of worrisome signs uh, that it could be a a skin cancer. Let's sort of pivot to squamous cell skin cancers. I take it just like basal cells do, those also have sort of different subtypes and a spectrum on severity and aggressiveness. Absolutely, yeah. So with squamous cells,
1: they usually present as, some, as a warty growth or something that's pretty tender. People will come in and say, you know, I didn't injure myself, but this is really sore. I thought it was a wart, but it's not going away. Squamous cell is also caused by the sun. Often it can grow and progress a little bit more quickly than the basal cells. And there is a risk of spread or metastasis with squamous cell. Usually when they're caught early, that risk is low, about 2%, but if they're caught later, the risk can be higher. So we do like to treat squamous cells more quickly. We like to feel people's lymph nodes, remind them that there is a risk of it spreading. And some patients who have more advanced squamous cells might need to be followed with imaging or by oncology and some of our other colleagues.
0: Yeah, and you made a a good point earlier too that some of our patients who are immunosuppressed and that could be transplant patients or on immunosuppressive medications, they are at a higher risk of getting uh, squamous cells and more aggressive squamous cells than someone who is not immunosuppressed. So it, it seems like the immune system plays a big role in protecting us from these skin cancers.
1: That's right. And I think that's
0: part of the reason we see even more cancer as we get older, and maybe our immune system is not as strong. Yeah, so that's a good point. So, you know, if you're in your 20s, do you really have to worry about skin cancer? What age would you recommend someone starts to get screened for skin cancer?
1: Yeah, so I think if you have a first degree relative with melanoma, I usually do suggest an annual skin exam starting at adulthood, like around the age of 18. And then if you have other risk factors, for example, history of immunosuppression, or some people are higher risk for other reasons. For example, we know that redheads are higher risk for melanoma. So if you're a redhead, you might want to be screened once a year, even if you don't have a personal or family history of skin cancer. And then another risk factor, at least for melanoma, is patients who have a lot of moles or what we call clinically atypical moles. So people who maybe make lots of moles or make large multicolored moles, we think that those patients probably have a little bit more of a genetic predisposition to melanoma and they may want to be seen every year as well. Certainly if you've had a skin cancer, then we recommend being seen usually every six months so it it depends, but if you're in your 20s and you don't have a personal or family history of skin cancer, your risk of skin cancer is generally lower. As you get older, you accumulate more sun damage, your risk does
0: increase. So if you are listening and you are in your 20s, now is a good time to really practice those safe sun practices to save yourself from getting a lot of sunburns to prevent getting skin cancers down the road. So while you may not necessarily need To be seeing a dermatologist for regular skin checks, what you can be doing is is really keeping your skin safe from the sun so you don't develop skin cancer down the road for sure. We sort of touched on the basal cells and the squamous cells and a little bit on the melanomas, but what should people look out for in regards to melanoma? I think most people think of a dark spot, but can you give us some more suggestions on sort of what to be on the lookout for?
1: I think the biggest thing with noticing a melanoma is that most of the time it's a spot that's new or evolving. Most melanoma does not arise from a mole that you've had forever. It can, but in general, most melanoma appears as something new, and it's something that's changing. We always recommend looking yourself over Every few weeks, you know, when you get out of the shower, just take a look at your skin, have a spouse or a family member look at your back and the back of your legs every now and then. Even if they don't have any dermatology training, a lot of times people are good at noticing something that's unusual or stands out or is evolving. Melanoma doesn't always have to be dark. There are melanomas that we call amelanotic or without melanin or without pigment. And these can be pink, shiny, new bumps usually it's something that someone will come in and say, this is different. It wasn't there before. It's changing quickly. And that's often how I find it presents.
0: We've experienced this for sure in our practice where a patient will come in for a spot that we look at and it's benign, but while they're there, we we actually spot a melanoma that looks suspicious. So I would definitely encourage people if you're concerned have it looked at, have a dermatologist take a look at it. The worst thing that happens is they tell you great news. it's nothing bad. And And sometimes we can actually spot things that are concerning when you're there. So don't ever feel like you're embarrassed or don't want to come in because you're worried it might be nothing.
1: Absolutely. That's a great point. Yeah, we definitely see that too. People come in for one spot and it's fine, but then there's another spot that we notice. And so we're grateful that they came in.
0: Yeah, we'll do a, a podcast focusing solely on melanomas because it is such a big topic and a lot to cover. But just briefly, Dr. Velez, can you tell us some melanomas seem to be treated by dermatologists, some melanomas, the patients going to an OR to have general anesthesia and seeing surgical oncologists. So can you tell us how that breaks down and sort of the a little bit of the staging of melanoma?
1: Sure. Treatment for melanoma has evolved a lot, even since Dr. Mina and I finished our residency. And it's been really amazing and exciting to see the developments, but there are now many new medications available for more advanced melanoma. And so how we approach and treat these patients is changing all the time for the better. I think people are doing better from melanoma now than they were 10, 15 years ago, but melanoma and melanoma staging has changed as well. But The most important aspect of melanoma staging is we call the Breslow thickness or the depth of the melanoma under the microscope. And that's something that the pathologist determines after the biopsy has been done. So if you come in, you have a suspicious growth, a dermatologist is going to numb the area and biopsy it or remove it and send it for pathology. And then the pathologist will look at it under the microscope make the diagnosis, let's say, of melanoma, and then there are several features that they look at under the microscope that determine the staging, the most important being how deep it goes under the microscope or the Breslow depth. They also look whether or not there's an ulceration in the melanoma and how quickly the cells are dividing or the mitotic rate. it's called. So if the melanoma is not very thick, if it's what we call a stage T1A melanoma, then that's something that can be taken care of in your dermatologist's office with what we call a wide local excision. And that means the dermatologist will numb a larger area and cut about a centimeter of skin all around the initial spot and then stitch that closed. And those melanomas typically do not need any additional treatment. We just follow the patients very closely. If the melanoma is deeper than what's considered stage 1A, then they may recommend a sentinel lymph node biopsy. And so that would mean that you would go to an operating room and you would have that excision, but you would also they would also sample a lymph node at the time to see if the skin cancer had spread to the lymph node. And if it had spread to the lymph node, sometimes they remove those lymph nodes and then give you additional treatment, which nowadays tends to be
0: immunotherapy. It sounds like when melanoma spreads, it it tends to go to those lymph nodes before it spreads elsewhere, and those are the first things that you check. Exactly. Now, you had mentioned wide local excisions for a melanoma that's a PT1A or a thinner melanoma. Are there any other treatments? Even since we've done training, there are definitely some new advances in the treatment of thin melanomas like doing Mohs surgery or what we call slow Mohs, which is a staged procedure. Can you talk to us briefly about that? With Mohs surgery, we have a lab
1: and we actually examine the tissue under the microscope while the patient waits. And that's been done for basal and squamous cell skin cancer for a long time. Also in recent years, we've been doing what's called Mohs for melanoma. And sometimes this is done same day and sometimes it's done Over the course of two days. So the skin cancer is removed and then the patient comes back two days later. With both of these approaches, we wait to stitch the skin closed until we're certain that the entire skin cancer has been removed. And this is particularly important in areas like the face and the neck where we don't have a lot of extra skin and we want to minimize how much skin we cut. Also, in areas where there's been a lot of sun damage. And the skin cancer may be larger than it initially looks. So with Mohs surgery, we're able to examine the entire margin and we wait to close the hole
0: until we're sure it's removed. And do you do that Mohs procedure on the basal cells and squamous cells that we talked about earlier? Yes, that's become
1: Mohs surgery is the gold standard for treatment of basal and squamous cell on what we call tissue sparing areas mostly the head, the neck, and then also hands, feet, genitalia. Okay, great. And that's done all in the dermatology office? Yes. The great thing is that for most surgery, it's done in the dermatologist's office under local anesthesia. So you're not put to sleep. You don't have to go into a hospital. And the same person, the same physician who's cutting it out is also the doctor who's looking at it under the microscope. And I think that really gives us a very unique perspective because We see the skin cancer on the patient, and then we also see it under the microscope. So we have kind of an understanding of how it's behaving clinically and pathologically.
0: That's right. And as most surgeons, we also get to do the reconstruction. So it's kind of a a three-for-one bundle deal. You get the removal, the pathology, and the reconstruction.
1: Yes, it actually has been shown to be more cost-effective than going into the hospital and having it removed.
0: That's right. And I get sometimes from patients, you know, do I need a plastic surgeon? Should I go see someone else for these procedures? And I think if you're seeing a skilled most surgeon, a fellowship trained board certified most surgeon, you know, we do these cases, a thousand plus cases a year. We do these kind of closures day in and day out. And we certainly have the volume and the expertise for these types of closures. So I don't think I really ever refer out my cases and I think probably the same for you.
1: Yes, exactly. That's what I tell my patients too. I, sometimes it can be confusing what the difference is between a most surgeon and plastic surgeon. But you know, there's a lot of things that we don't do. We, there's a lot of things that plastic surgeons do that we do not do. And the same thing, there's many things that we do that they don't do. But one thing that we definitely do a lot of is repairing wounds on the face. And so most most surgeons are very experienced at Closing
0: wounds on the face and giving patients the best result. Absolutely. This has been great. I feel like we've gotten a great overview of the common types of skin cancers that we see basal cell, squamous cell, and melanomas. You know, what advice would you give to someone for uh, preventing these and what they should do if they have a concerning spot?
1: Well, I think, like we mentioned before, the great thing about skin cancer is that most of them are preventable. So Uh, I think it's been shown that over 90% of skin cancers could be prevented by just better sun protection. Uh, Nowadays, we are lucky to have much better sunscreen than we had when we were growing up. So a mineral-based sunscreen, at least SPF 30, higher is always better. Uh, Making sure you put it on every day. I tell my patients, think of it like brushing your teeth. Make it a habit. You just wear your sunscreen on your face and sun-exposed areas every day, whether or not you're going outside. If you're going to be outdoors, active, sweating, make sure you're reapplying the sunscreen. And then sun protective clothing has really taken off in the last 10 years. We also have great options when it comes to that. So if you're going to be playing tennis or swimming or outdoors in the sun for a long period of time, the sun protective shirts and hats are a great option because you don't have to worry about sweating and losing the sunscreen. And then beyond sunscreen and some protective clothing, I think some of it is just being smart about it. So if you're at the beach, seek shade, try to avoid being out in the sun unprotected at noon, you know, try to enjoy the times when the sun is not as strong. And for those who are higher risk, there are some additional things you can do. So for patients who have had skin cancer or have a lot of sun damage, Recently, they found that an over-the-counter vitamin, it's nicotinamide or B3, taking that twice a day was actually shown to reduce new skin cancers. So for my higher risk patients, I often will recommend that in addition to the sun protective behaviors.
0: That's all really, really good advice. And while certainly some patients, especially those who burn easily or are pretty light complected we sort of think of them as being high risk, really these skin cancers affect everyone no matter what skin type you are, whether you tan easily, whether you burn easily, you know, everyone is at risk for skin cancer for all three of the ones that we talked about. So really no one is immune and really everyone can sort of heed this great advice. So Dr. Velez, I want to thank you so much for coming on. This has been great to hear about common skin cancers. I really appreciate you being here. Can you tell our audience where if they want to reach out to you or contact you where they can find you? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It was an
1: honor to speak with you today. And yeah, if anyone wants to reach out to me, you can um, find my email maybe through the podcast or also through my office website,
0: which is PittsburghSkin.com. And I know you have an Instagram account. Can you tell everyone what that is? We do. It's Pittsburgh Skin. Okay, sounds good. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to The Skin Reel. I hope it's been informative, educational, and perhaps a little entertaining. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to like and subscribe. Don't want to stop your learning just yet? Head on over to theskinreel.com for our show notes, blog post, and so much more. Until next time.